Father, I ask that you would reveal your heart to us today. That somehow in your economy, you know each and every detail of every life here. And I ask that you would speak to each and every heart in a way that only you can. God, would you take the foolishness of preaching and would you reach into the depth of our heart and let each and every person here, me too, God, let us know that you know me, that you love me, and you're at work in the details of what's going on in my life. And God, I ask that you would glorify yourself in our lives so that the world could see something fantastic is going on. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, do you have a Bible? If you need a Bible, they have some in the back. I am going to take you through a, a number of scriptures. Look at this. I got notes in here. Um, last time I talked, we talked about simple friendship with God. And I, I told you a little bit about my meeting Mr. Felt. And then in the midst of talking about John 14 and the works that I do, the, you know, you shall do and greater works, then some guy has a heart attack. And I mean, honestly, it was a little scary, right? Um, two nurses were looking after him. He wasn't breathing. And he looked ashen. And I'm going like, oh, this is different. And I'm going like, you know, what exactly, Lord, do we do? And everyone's wanting more expert humans on the scene. And I'm going like, there's no expert humans that are going to arrive in time to do anything here. And so to, collectively, we just prayed. I looked at him. He was not there. We prayed, and all of a sudden, oh, he is back. I don't know what you call that. I don't need to call it anything. I just went, awesome, Jesus. <laughs> And what was really cool about looking at John 14 was it's in the context of Jesus calling us friends. This is normal Christianity. This is, we're supposed to become like our teacher. And I think God knows how to fix just about anything that's broken. I think whenever I need something, my, my spiritual reflex ought to be instantly help. And I don't know necessarily what I need, but I know he does. So I don't know that it's all that important, the specific language I use. I think help is probably the best prayer you could pray. And I think dialing into God and just saying, Lord, what is going on? He speaks on a need-to-know basis. If I need to know, I believe he'll tell me. I think um, the truth is, is I can really rely on him to bring forth and manifest his life all around us. And out of uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, when Paul is talking about, I don't want your faith resting on persuasive words of men's wisdom, but rather in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about we need to have a very real God that we can see, we can know. I don't think he's asking us to faith it. Does that make sense? And so I'm really hoping that in, in, in some of the sh stories I want to share today, I'm hoping that it will set a bar for you with a sense of going, that's normal, not extraordinary. That's really normal. God really does want to be an active part of my life that I can see and know because I was converted to a person. I wasn't converted to a doctrine. 
I wasn't given a, a code of morality. I was given a wink by a guy standing behind a felt board and the offer was one of friendship, okay? So we're gonna talk about adventures in friendship today. Is that good? All right. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to, which one of these is awesome, Lord? Um, turn to John 3. And Jesus, you can heal me or I'm going to put my glasses on. Look, he healed me through my glasses. John 3, verse 1. Now, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? He can't enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Just stop for a second. We've probably grown up with the sense of, you know, that phrase, born again. I just want you to think about it for a sec. What is that? You can't see the kingdom of God. We can't enter unless we're born again. I'm pretty sure it's not just signing up for a bunch of doctrines. I'm pretty sure that it's talking about just like I was born as a baby and poof, out of the womb I come. He's talking about something happening to us for real in our spirit that all of a sudden opens up a whole world to us that is supposed to be normal. Just as I'm born out of my mother's womb into an earth realm, I was in this nice little you know, swimming pool, jacuzzi warm, wonderful. I don't remember my birth. I don't know if you remember yours, but I've watched three of my wives, not three wives, three of my children. (laughs) Being That was bad. I need more help than this. Those were traumatic experiences. She nearly died the first two times. I mean, it was, it was, it was emergency C-section. So we just decided to schedule the next one. (laughs) It's a whole lot easier. Um, But it's amazing. All of a sudden they go from, you know, breathing water to breathing air. How's that? I mean, please, that's a miracle. Well, think about it spiritually. We're talking about something happening in us that is that profound. I think we're supposed to know about it. I don't think we're supposed to be, you know, celebrating. I think we're supposed to be brought into a realm of the spirit, a realm of the kingdom that is pretty fantastic and pretty normal. 
But it should be part of our expectation that if, if Paul, who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, is saying, I don't want your faith resting on persuasive words of men's wisdom. I'm glad for all the apologetics and the, and the reasoning and all that stuff. And that, that's great. But it's a whole lot easier when God manifests himself for real. And you know it and you can see it. Um, I want to tell you a fun story about that something that happened on set um, when we were up shooting the shack. Um, if you saw the scene where Octavia is playing Papa and they're in the kitchen and Mac is wrestling because he just, he can't reconcile that God loves him, that any of this is real because his daughter has died and he's stuck in the pain of that. That's for real life. That's hard. And he's not accepting the little trite answers of what's going on. God's not giving him trite answers, but he can't, he can't figure out what's happening. And, and, and Papa responds out of his argument where he says, you know, you, you left Jesus on the cross. You have this bad habit of forsaking those who you supposedly love. And Papa's absorbing all of this, listening, not arguing. I'm not saying you're wrong, little man. Just listening to a hurting heart. And then draws his attention down at her wrist where we've pictorially put the scars of Jesus. Because it's 2 Corinthians 5.19. For it was God who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, felt forsaken on the cross. That's what sin does to us. But God didn't forsake himself. And we've had all kinds of horrible things declared about how we're heretics and we're, we're, we're terrible for, for depicting that. And it's like, no, no, no. It's absolute Bible. And it's just to show the fact that we can feel forsaken, but we're not. And there's a mystery that a lot of times we don't fully grasp. And Papa's got tears in her eyes. It's not a female God, but it's a female approach to a guy who's got father issues. And just says, you misunderstand the mystery. Don't think that what my son chose to do didn't cost us both dearly. Love always leaves a mark. That's the kind of God we have who wants to crawl into the midst of each one of our lives that's going on. We need a tangible, felt, emotional revelation of the love of God, not just the confession of it. If that's all you have, great, start there. But don't stop there whatsoever because God is drawing us to himself. And I look at that and I'm going like, God, we're supposed to know you. How, the, how is the world going to understand him who they cannot see if we who are supposed to be able to see in both this realm and that one aren't able to do some form of translation? I mean, I really do believe that we're supposed to be the Jesus people on the planet with him inside us. And the world is somehow supposed to know this is real, not pretend. 
And so I just want to encourage you, keep asking God for more and more and more and more. And that's the very thing he does want to answer. And the whole bit about, you know, you must be born again. Is I, I end up looking at the church a lot and I go like, oh Lord, I can't wait until the church gets saved. And, and what I mean by that is not questioning anyone's eternal destiny. But I think we're supposed to walk in an awful lot of that right now. I think the world is, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because I am very aware of who I am. And I, don't, I do not have delusions of grandeur. I'm pretty sure that little book we wrote is being talked about in virtually every pulpit on, on, you know, in North America right now. Those who haven't seen it are probably vilifying us. Those who have seen it are probably scratching their head like, well, I kind of like that. But I, I look at how God is causing a conversation to happen. And whether they like it or not, if it drives them into their Bibles, if they have to sort out what they really believe, I kind of go, game over, we're winning. You, I, I'm not here for you to like me, but if, if it makes you wonder about Jesus, I think I'm doing my job. And I, I'm really excited that I think this is inching its way into our culture. I mean, I've had a crazy week. I have slept in my own bed only four times this month. I have been running around with a whole bunch of different screenings. But like on Thursday, I sat down with Glenn Beck on his TV show. And I saw the heart of a man just absolutely captured by the love of God. Wherever you chart him, whatever you think about him, I made a friend. And he's fascinated and he considers this the best movie he's ever seen. And he's a Mormon guy. And we clearly looked at each other. Yeah, we have different thoughts about God. But it's like he became the apologist for the shack going, please get over it. You, you, you're missing the point if you're arguing about it. And, and he's gushing about the love of God. I mean, I sat there when, when I screened it with him and he's groaning almost every other line and he is taking it all in he comes from his own abusive past this movie cuts so close to his own life story and it it he he said i came out of there going oh i want to have a better relationship with god oh i want to know god more and i want to talk to him more and his wife was in tears and i'm just going like okay conversation started that's, I think that's what our lives are meant to reflect and in, 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 in what we do, the fruit of how we engage in the culture. So I jump on a plane, I, I race out of there, fly back here, and I, I, I only made it for the tail end of the event on Thursday night, but then I'm watching 2,200 people empty out of 14 theaters right over here in Movie Co. And virtually everyone has tear-stained faces big huge smiles because it's not sad it just leaves you tenderized and I'm getting hugs from people I haven't seen for 20 some years a lot of folks that I used to pastor in Malibu it's like it was homecoming and I'm sitting there going like oh god this is about as cool as it comes 
I mean, this was just a treat. Just to be able to stand there and smile at them and just go like, yeah, that was good. I liked it too. I mean, I've seen it 20 times and I still cry, you know. And then I go home. I was greeted by my big St. Bernard, slobbered to death. That was great. And I put my feet up, turn on the TV, and there's Octavia on the Jimmy Fallon show talking about this book that impacted her life well before we were thinking of a movie. And I'm just going like, oh, this is a wild 12 hours, you know. And I, I share that with the thought is just going like, Lord, how did you do that? I mean, for real, how, how, how have you caused this? And, and let, me, let me back you up. Here's, here's my little fun story. Um, 2001, we go through a real train wreck. We had a really fantastic church going on in Malibu. But it kind of got seduced by its own success. And I had to sort of blow the whistle on some stuff that was just not cool. And I'm thinking, well, there's an easy way out of this. It's called humility and repentance and Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus can't fix. But it really does require our repenting and cooperating and humbling ourselves. That wasn't the option that they took. So they drove the bus over me. And that was really, really painful. I did not see that coming. I, didn't, I spent half my life trying to help build this thing. We saw about 3,000 people come to the Lord in a short span of time. I mean, it was rocking. And I didn't expect to be hit by the bus. I didn't expect it to roll over me, and I didn't expect to be roadkill going like, oh, what a hell, Lord. <laughs> Wearing the white hat here, you know. <laughs> and I was left really confused. And movies are a special language that the Lord uses as parables to talk to me. You know, I'm weird. I know the Bible awesomely well, but I really love the the parable-like way that God can speak through stuff. And so in as many frequencies as you're able to listen, you, you may be a little more open to hearing God's voice, and it's always supposed to be consistent with this. But I was, I found myself in Nashville... And I had two movies with me. I had a field of dreams and a beautiful mind. And if you don't know either of those movies, here's the short synopsis. Both of these main characters are on an epic journey. They're both hearing voices. I could identify, okay? One of these guys is becoming a danger to his family because the epic journey he's on is not exactly real and clear and he needs to be on lithium. He's brilliant, and, and, but, but he's in something of his own creation. The other guy has plowed his field under. He has sort of given everything. And he's wondering, he's built this little baseball field in the middle of his cornfield. And, and it's, you know, they're running out of money, and they don't know what to do. And he's trying to figure out, and, and the little whisper is saying, go the distance. And I'm sitting there going like, Lord, for real. Which one of these should I be listening to? I am really at that crossroads. And I need you to speak. And I need you to communicate to me. Because I'm not interested in creating an epic journey of my own fantasy and putting myself in the main character and just being off on my own little goofy journey. 
want to serve you. Things are not turning out like I thought. Anyone ever had that kind of moment in life? You know, the script that you submitted is not the one he's working. And you're going like, well, I thought it was so cool. (laughs) I had one of those moments where it's like, Lord, what should I do? And I honestly was not interested in going the distance. I was interested in finding permission to sit down because I was tired. I was hurt. And I didn't know what to do. And I really couldn't look at my wife and prove that any of what I was hearing was true. (laughs) And wives are awesome because they are sort of like the balancing reality to life. It's sort of like if it doesn't work there, it's not working. (laughs) Right, guys? Yeah? Yeah, the women are like, yeah. And the Lord said, I want you to watch Field of Dreams. That was not the direction I was leaning in. I really thought my easier out was a beautiful mind, and I get a prescription, and we're okay. (laughs) Okay? So I put it in. And again, this may not be in your bandwidth, but it, it, it is in mine. Jesus sat on the edge of the hotel bed with me. And we watched that movie. And I wept my way through it. Because he turned it into a parable of such precision for my life and clarity of what to do and what was going on and what I was supposed to be doing. It was all making sense to me. And I was getting the needed wind in my sails to go, okay, I can can go the distance. If this is you, I can do that. And there's a moment in that movie where the the writer guy that he grabs gets this beautiful opportunity to go out into the cornfield with the other baseball players. And if it's like some of you like are not old enough to know this movie, go watch it. It's really cool. Um, it is one of those. It is it is when movies were movies. They they weren't just sequels that are stupid. I have a few people agree with me, yes. Um, and Kevin Costner, who's the one who's paid more of the sacrifice to make all of this happen, he's kind of wanting to go out too because that, that looks fun. It's like here's all these like, you know, supernaturally present baseball players of old and they're all going out into this miraculous cornfield and it's like, oh, wow, you know, that, that'd be cool you, you go out in the field with them and shoeless joe jackson comes up and says that's not for you and you know i don't know about you but i watch that like oh that's not fair i mean, I was totally for kevin that's like you know no i mean if anyone gets to go he does and it's like he doesn't get to go and it seems really unfair and you can you can just feel a hurt inside going like what and it's like, well, and he says, is that why you did it? You know, what's in it for you? And the answer is no, he was just following a little voice. He did all this without asking that question. And the Lord was making this moment in my life one of those premonition things where he said, guess what? 
I need you to reckon what's happening here now because of something that's going to happen in the future. And I knew he was saying, you need to be prepared that I'm going to ask you to plow your field under. I'm going to ask you to do a whole bunch of stuff. But the little cool thing you think is going to be going on, not for you. And I'm going like, well, that sucks. <laughs> Can we watch a beautiful mind? <laughs> but I went, all right. Because as, as you watch the movie, as it unfolds, he gets a really better portion. All of a sudden, the dad that he's a little bit estranged from and hasn't quite got, he has a chance to see his dad emerge and then they start playing catch something that he had walked away that was a total treat and a pleasure for his dad the two of them get reconciled and bonded and and they're and they're playing catch and i went all right god i got i got i'm gonna ask for a deal i'll plow my field under i'll do what it takes i'll 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 do all that and i recognize it's may not be in the category of fair but I know I can do this if you will play catch with me because I'm not interested in throwing the ball up in the air only to have it fall back down and pretend like you threw it back I need your voice to actually be for real I need to know that you're talking to me guiding me and walking me through what's going on. And if you will make your presence that real, that known, I can do this. Because I'd be far more excited about that than trying to hang out with some other people. And we struck up that deal. Well, in this whole little shack thing, you might notice on the book, our names are not, you know, there's three of us that wrote it, but there's only one name on the cover. We've gone through a, a, quite a bit of a journey that I don't really need to share, but it has been that I plowed my field under, and a lot of the, the, the big, wonderful things, that has not been my portion. The heavy lifting, the, you know, shipping boxes out of my garage, that, that's been my, my lot, my portion in it. But I got to tell you, There has been an incredible journey and a joy of God saying, I'm going to play catch this whole time. And and, and that has been extraordinary. And I want to tell you one story that just happened about four weeks ago of playing catch with my dad. We were over in Israel. And... I'm supposed to be helping this whole movie get promoted. And I'm going like, what the heck are we doing in Israel? It's like we had planned a tour with our God Journey audience that, that me and a, and a buddy do. And they kept moving our release date. And so we kept moving the tour. And then after two moves, I can't, I can't do this to the people who are paying tons of money to go to Israel. So we just sort of parked our tour and figured it'll just have to work. Well, it comes right in the big throw of the push for promoting the movie. I'm going, oh, this is not good. So I, I find myself over in Jordan, and the studio's going like, what are you doing there? 
I'm going, like, well, you knuckleheads are the ones that move in the, the, the release date, and you'd never called me to say, is that okay with you? <laughs> and so we find ourselves at Mount Nebo. That's the place where Moses is, gets benched. That's my quick version. It's like <laughs> Moses has been the guy, been leading everyone for the longest time, but he does do something that as a critical moment is really sort of the wrong thing. And God benches him. He, he allows him to see the promised land, but Moses doesn't get to go in. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a bar mitzvah of somebody, you know, the, the rabbis love, Moses is the rock star, Okay. But they don't get this moment. I've talked to so many rabbis who just are befuddled at God is seemingly so harsh. One mistake and the rock star that has led everything for so long doesn't get to go in. And it's like, that seems really harsh. Yeah, anyone? Do any of you know why he doesn't get to go in? So it's okay for you to, to, to raise your hand. I'm just curious. Most people don't. They're going to like, yeah, it seems like God kind of got angry a little bit on that one. He, dis, he disobeyed. Anyone, have you done that? I'm going like, whoa. <laughs> That's a hefty price just for a disobedience. Well, it has unique bearing for all of us as to what that mistake was. And if you look in Exodus 17, just write that down I'll, for the sake of time because we're doing communion too. Exodus 17 is where they're coming out of their time of captivity and they're in the wilderness and they're out of water. And if you've ever been in a desert and you've been out of water, it's not like that's not a real need. This is not like, gee, we just want comfort. It's like without water, you die. And so they're grumbling, complaining, and they're thinking that God has took them out here and they're going to die. There's two million people and there aren't any bottles of water. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. So they cry out to God and Moses is instructed to strike the rock. And water comes out of the rock. And what's interesting is the specific language is in verse 6. The Lord speaks to him and says, I will go before you and I will stand on the rock. And I want you to strike the rock. Now, if you're Moses and you are seeing, and he is, because he used to be that guy hanging out with God face to face. If you think about it, you're supposed to strike the rock. And who's standing on the rock? God. How many of you would have picked that up and struck it? I don't know if you thought about it. I have. I'm going like, ooh. Somehow he strikes the rock and water comes out. It's a marvelous miracle story. Then 40 years later, after that generation was seemingly comprised of just grumblers, moaners, and complainers, and God wasn't uniquely excited about them, the new generation is in the same predicament in a little different area and they're in the same difficulty. They need water. And they're about to enter into the promised land. And 
they got this, and this is the do-over moment. It's like they need water. And God's instructions are different this time. He says, Moses, this time I just want you to speak to the rock. But Moses has had 40 years of these people. And he's a little tired of leading them. And two million people moaning and groaning pretty much a lot of the whole journey has not left Moses a happy camper. And so as opposed to just speaking to the rock, Moses this time looks at the people and says, you rebels, and he starts chewing into them. And it's like, you want me to give you water? And it's like, Moses, this isn't exactly that moment. This is God going to do something. And you're, you're having your own little attitude. He strikes the rock twice. Why twice? I think the first time he struck it didn't work. <laughs> and then now you look bad, so you whack it again. Think of the mercy of God. Water flows. Moses is disobeyed. God still is providing for people. Leadership doesn't always get it right. But the God of love behind this is always caring for the people. So what happens is not necessarily a commentary on how good leadership is or isn't doing. Moses made a big mistake because in that moment, this younger generation is needing to see that God is with them, that he's for them that he will provide for them, that the things that they really need, they do not need to fret and worry about. They need to know all that. They're about to face giants. They're about to do stuff that that is, is scary and tough. How many of you think we need to have a revelation of a God who's with us, for us, able to provide for us, and is ready, willing, and able to do that? You know, I think we all know that God can, but I don't think many of us are convinced that he will. Yeah? You know, confessions? I, I, I live there at times, and I'm going like, Lord, I'm tired of white-knuckling this thing. I, I need to be pickled in your goodness. I really need to understand that you are such an awesome father, far better than I understand. And I know my life would reflect that differently if I did. And so Moses made a big, massive mistake at a very critical moment in the life of a future generation, which is why God kind of said, this is not good. It is one of those types in the Bible that God was, I think, really excited to say, oh, future generations will understand this better than these guys. But it's a picture of Jesus because uh, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says the rock in the wilderness, that was Christ. That's, 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 that's amazing. Rock and roll. It moved with them, and it was Jesus. And so the idea is, you know what? Strike once and forever speak, and the provisions come. That's a profound picture that God was trying to leave for all of us to understand, and Moses totally blew it, which was really a bummer and critical. 
Because just in, 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 in where Moses blows it is, is Numbers 20. Numbers 21 is another moment where it's like that new generation. As opposed to being jazzed and excited that God is with them, for them, able to provide, ready, willing, and able to do so, eager to do so, they're now stuck in that lack and that fear and that sense of grumbling and complaining. And they're moving through the desert, and all of a sudden they're in that mode, and God causes all these vipers, these red you know, fiery serpents to come up and start biting them, which is a little crazy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're like, why do you do that? That just seems terrible. I think, again, it's, it's all meant to teach us. This is a moment where God's going to say, I'm going to do something to forever change this in you. And I think he's wanting to make it simple and profoundly understood. And so I think he allowed what was going on in their lives and in their mouths to be made manifest around them. And it was biting them and they were dying. And the people knew, we've sinned. And they went to Moses and said, what do we do? Help, we've sinned against the Lord. They knew. So this wasn't, you know, gosh, this seems awful and we don't understand. It's like they knew that they were not getting this right. And they cried out to Moses. Moses was then instructed to lift a serpent up on a pole to fashion a bronze serpent on a, on a standard, which looks a lot like the cross, wraps a serpent around it, lifts it up, and anybody that turned and looked would be healed. That's a good deal. That's extraordinary. So back to Mount Nebo. We're in Jordan. We're standing there. We're looking out over the sort of below us is, you know, the River Jordan and the Promised Land. It's pretty wild. I've never seen that before. This is like, wow. And right down the hill is where Jesus was baptized. And I never, I never put those two together. We're on the mountain where Moses failed and was benched. And you have this word picture right out in front of us. What Moses was unable to do, what the law could not do, that guy Jesus picked up where it was fumbled, was filled with the Spirit, crossed over, and is meant to be our greater Joshua leading us in to the fullness of the promises. And I had no idea that we're up on the mountain right down below is where that happens. And I'm going like, I've studied the Bible for 40 some years. How did I never put those two together? Well, because I never stood there. And it's like, oh, wow. And I'm, I'm marveling with that. And, and we're having a nice little moment with our group. And then it's time for everyone to go back to the bus. And there's this statue that's pretty extraordinary that it's not clear exactly what it is. We're in a Muslim country, and what's there is a picture of this, you know, it's 20 feet tall, it's this standard, and it has a snake wrapped around it. I know exactly what it is. It is that thing that Moses was told to, to make. And 
it's about as stealth as it comes in a Muslim country because it's a picture of the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And he was talking about as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when you look at the definition of the cross, the clearest definition says Jesus of what the cross is all about is that serpent on a pole. That's where sin and the enemy gets judged. That's not where people get judged. That's where the enemy gets judged. And what is the gift is healing. We've turned the cross into this judicial thing. And I can make the case for it. But the problem that we have is Jesus did not define a court judge and a jury when he defined what the cross was about. He said it's about healing. And Rob's uh, Rob's taught you guys this. That's the symbol on every doctor's coat. That's the symbol that's on the side of every ambulance. When you go to the pharmacy, that's the symbol that's there somewhere. The cross, universally, its, its actual symbol is about healing. It isn't the mean, angry judge. Because I think when we understand it in that context, we're left with that great guy, Jesus. I like him. Thank you for taking our spanking. But then I look at his dad, and he's got anger management issues. Because he's beating the snot out of the best kid of the family. What hope do I have if that's how he treats the best? Do you, you get that? I mean, I, I don't think we actually think all that through, but I think it is a disconnect at times for us. And so I'm standing there, and I'm going like, God, why am I here? What am I doing in Israel when I should be promoting this movie. And he speaks to me. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. It's for such an hour as this that you've been born. Now, what you need to know is he actually spoke that to me in 1989. When I graduated at the time of the writer's strike and I was a film TV major, I was going to make my debut in Hollywood and I just nothing but a you know, brick wall, couldn't do anything, knew a whole bunch of people. But it's like, I'm going like, did I ever miss God? And out of the midst of going like, hey, Lord, I thought this was the plan and purpose. One night he speaks to me wakes me up in the middle of the night to say that out loud. It took me 20-some years to honestly chase that down. What do you really mean? And what I understand now as an older guy, the simplicity of it is if we would lift up Jesus, not ourselves, not our stuff, not our plans, not our promises, but if we would lift up Jesus... And that's what people could see and get a clear look at. All they have to do is look and live. Go to the thief on the cross. What did he understand? 
How much? Did he get the Trinity? Doubtful. Was he baptized? Not unless Jesus spit on him. <laughs> All he knew he was he was guilty, and the guy next to him was innocent. And all he did was ask, where you are, can I go? And the one guy we're absolutely red letter assured of is saved, is that guy. I find that extraordinary. Because, you know, we want to pack more into it than that. I don't know that we're helping. Because I really do think you get a clear look at Jesus, what you behold, you become. What we show the world is how they respond. The problem with what Moses did is he did not show God as ready, willing, able, for us, with us, a father to provide. He showed an angry God because he was angry. And that's what got him benched. That, that's what prevented him and the rest of those people from entering in at that moment. And so I'm standing there, and the Lord says, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. It's for such an hour as this that you've been born. And I'm, I've, got a, I've got a personal context. This is my dad playing catch with me. I was, I was taken back. Everyone was kind of making their way back to the bus. I stayed and lingered. The wind started to blow. I started to cry. And I looked down because I'm going like, who made this? How, how and why is this here? It's an Italian artist. This is so stealth in a Muslim country. It was installed in 1989. That might not mean anything to anybody else, but I found that detail rather, rather personal and striking for just me. I don't need to make anything of it other than I, I was a puddle. I went, wow, God. He said, Brad, what did you do to make the book so successful? It sold 22 million copies. It's gone into 40 different languages. It is the most important book they've ever published in Brazil, says Brazil. Okay. I know the knuckleheads that did it. I art one of them. I can answer this better than anybody else. Lord, I, yeah, I worked real hard, but the truth is I, you, you breathed on it. This was something you did. You wanted to have a conversation with our culture about your goodness. This is the, the through line, the subtle through line of everything is what he did on the cross is that subtle analogy of what heals us. You know, someone said the, the, the passion revealed what, but the shack reveals why. I went, exactly. That person got it. This is God's heart to heal us. And we're about to move into a time of communion. So the band guys. I really want this to be a, an extraordinary moment for you where you get to get the full medicine of what this is really about. The cross is not something where God pays a penalty and you get your get out of jail free card. That is true and that is nice. 
But the whole purpose of it is that you and I have been bitten by a viperous disease. We got poison coursing through us, that, that thing that causes us to err, to disobey, to resist, to rebel. God isn't angry. He took a generation that didn't understand that, and he said, I'm going to show you in a moment how simple and how easy all of this is. I'm going to show you all you have to do is look and live. And that's what this meal is meant to be. We're supposed to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And that word to remember means to take that which is true of the past, bring it right in front of you right now, and allow it to be true today. It's not just, oh, yeah. It's, it's more active and more wow than that. There's something in here that whatever is ailing you, be it physical, be it emotional, be it spiritual, maybe you're hearing you don't know him. Welcome him in. There's nothing better on the planet than becoming friends with Jesus. Jesus.